It's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, been thinking about you this week. Uh, some of you God called to my memory by name. Uh, we prayed Thursday morning. Uh, been spending some time in the Psalms. Um, it's a neat collection of praise and worship uh, from someone who um, God dealt with and brought through. And uh, uh, sometimes in, in going through the Psalms, uh, something's real familiar, and I'll kind of just move on. But I've been in a particular place for the last couple of weeks and wanted to share that with you this morning um, because I desperately want to be in the place that, you know, we've been learning about worship, and one of, those, one of the ways we do that is in songs and in praising God, and another is in, you know, in just telling people of things he has done, his deeds. And uh, I want my worship, and when I share about the Lord, I want to be able to say this in truth. It's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, no matter what my circumstances, what's going on, can I say I will fear no evil? For you are with me. And in fact, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning as we have opportunity to worship our God, our Creator, our Redeemer, that your faithfulness would just be before us. Father, the other things that we pursue would be laid aside and we would wholeheartedly pursue you this morning. We're thankful for your word that shows us who you are. Reminds us that you are worthy of our praise. And Father, as we go from here, It's still worthy of our praise. Father, I pray it will be on our lips. Father, that we can say you are our shepherd. That we have no want. That you've given us the desires of our heart because the desire of our heart is you. Father, I pray as a people this morning we would worship in spirit and in truth. And we thank you for the opportunity to do that. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we um, come before you humbly today, I pray that there's, there's no act where we're trying to fake humility. 
I pray that, Lord, as we say the words, uh, you alone are worthy of all that I am, that there would be an immediate awareness that it's not a matter of we're, we're all that and you're worthy of what we can give, but without you we have no worth. Without your hand and your blessing, uh, we're wretched, we're worms. And Lord, I, I, uh, I just picture us this morning as, as vessels that are meant to be used for mercy. And we're coming before you humbly and we have nothing to pour out to be vessels of mercy if, if we are not filled with, with uh, an understanding of who you are and what you're aiming to do. And if we're not filled with the fruit that the Spirit produces in, in the lives of a worshiper. Lord, please guide our time this morning. Please help me to be able to communicate with clarity uh, the message that you would have communicated. I pray for every heart and mind in this room that we'd be ready to engage your word and your truth. Lord, we love you. We humble ourselves before you today, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, open up to First Chronicles 29. This is part three of our worship series. Two weeks ago, we considered why we give or why we sing. Uh, we considered why we sing, and we considered that uh, it's, it's not just someone's idea that came up along the way and it kind of stuck, but in fact, it's a divine thing, that the Lord would have us sing to him as a primary means of a corporate expression of, of his greatness and what he's doing. Then we looked at what we sing, and we realized that there is lyrical content and there's spiritual content and uh, we need to make sure that what we're singing is, in fact, in line with the Lord. And today, we'll just get right into it. We're going to focus on how we give. We're not straying from the worship series. This is part of the worship series. Part three of this worship series is how we give. And uh, I'm confessing that up front, that I'm going to be talking about giving. So by the time I'm finished, I should be the least popular guy in the room. This... Uh, a lot, of, a lot of baggage that goes along with what we're talking about this morning. Um, some of you may be in town visiting family, and you're thinking, great, I'm here on the giving week. Fantastic. Some of you may have already had to talk yourselves into being here because the Cowboys play at noon, and you're thinking, great, we came here now on top of missing the beginning of the game. I have to listen to giving. Uh, but all jokes aside, I am, uh, my heart is very, uh, very heavy uh, for this body. Um, last night, I, I just went through the, the uh, member directory, and I prayed for all of our visitors who will be here this morning, that you wouldn't see this as some scheme. You wouldn't see this as being swindled out of your hard-earned money. Uh, and I prayed uh, for every member of this body just by name. I don't share that so that you would think I'm super spiritual. I'm certainly not led to do that every week. Uh, however, this week, Given what we're talking about, all of the heartache, all the frustration, all of the anxiety, all of the guilt that goes along with considering the call on our lives to, to give to the Lord, uh, I went and I prayed for each of our member families by name. I prayed for your children by name. I prayed for future generations that, as David prayed, that they, their hearts would be turned toward the Lord. And I pray that this morning would be a time of worship. I would ask right here on the front... What does it do to you to know that as part of our worship series, we're talking about giving? I mean, when I'd said, I'm going to confess up front, we're talking about that, we're, yes, I've been waiting for this. Or was it more of a, hmm, I wish I wasn't here at this point? Or was it guilt? Was it frustration? Was it encouragement? Uh, for some of us, today should serve as an encouragement to remain steadfast in obedience. 
For some of us today will serve as a sobering but very necessary reminder of what it means to be wholehearted in our worship. Whatever your gut response is, uh, in the same way that we desire to be wholehearted in our song, God instills in his people the same desire to be wholehearted in giving. It's not an inconvenience. It's not a burden. It's a privilege and a right, as I hope we will see this morning, a gift even. I hope that you'll be encouraged by the faithfulness of our forefathers in 1 Chronicles 29, that you'd be stirred by such a sweet and beautiful picture of worship. And I hope that our time together will be a time of worship. I, I, I know that for some, the worship will be persevering in what they're already doing. Uh, for others, the worship will be repentance and obedience to the Lord. But my, my hope and my prayer is that this is a time of worship. So look at 1 Chronicles 29, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 22. And David, the king, said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord. Before I read the rest of this, I want to give a little bit of background that what's happening here is David is charging Israel to do the work that the Lord has set before him. They're building this temple. The temple, the tabernacle, is representative of of the presence of the Lord. The Lord has come to his people and said, build this. This will be a place where I gather with my people. And it's very important. It's indicative of the kingdom of God, how it's coming to earth and how he does in fact dwell with his people and his people should in fact value that. And so all this temple talk and tabernacle talk is all about the presence of God with his people. And we know that when God is present with his people from Exodus 20, 24, God causes his people to remember his name. And upon doing so, he is present and he's blessing his people. And so here, there are offerings being made in the temple and David is charging Israel to be about what God has called him to. He's charging Solomon to do the work that God has called him to. And he's sharing with the body the, the resources that have been provided for this work so that the kingdom of God would be seen rightly. It says, my son is young and inexperienced and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, the wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. David's getting a little personal here. I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. As I share even figures here, think of this in terms of worship. Think of this in terms of this is a guy that God has placed before a people as king of a kingdom who's pointing to a greater kingdom. And think of what he's sharing as important to it being clear of his devotion to the Lord. He says 3,000 talents of gold. Up front, a talent is 75 pounds. 3,000 talents of gold, the gold of Ophir. 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself to the Lord? It's a huge call. Then the leaders of the father's houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, the officers over the king's work, 
They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver and 18,000 talents of bronze and 100,000 talents of iron. A talent is 75 pounds. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced greatly because they had been given, because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted above head, as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able, be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we've given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord on the next day, burned, uh, day offered burnt offerings to the Lord, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. There's a lot to be said about giving. There, there's so much that comes to your mind when you consider how we're called to be joyful givers. You consider that um, he who uh, lays up uh, treasures on earth uh, is not being as fruitful as he who lays up treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You cannot sow sparingly and expect to reap uh, uh, abundantly. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows abundantly. These are all things that just bam, bam, bam. We all, we've all heard a lot of these things if you've been around the church for any amount, amount of time. But I really just want to stick to this picture here in First Chronicles 29, this picture these people worshiping wholeheartedly, it weirds me out. These people are not normal. These people are complete weirdos with their resources. That you look at what they're doing and it's like, why are you singing? Why are you rejoicing? That, that was a big sacrifice. It's not normal what we're seeing here. And I think that we have a lot to learn from it. Look back at verse 1. David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon my son whom alone God has chosen, God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. Funny that God would choose someone young and, young and inexperienced, <laughs> and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. The first thing that we see here about our giving as an act of worship is that just like our song 
It's about God. It's not about man. Not about a building program. It's not about an immediate need necessarily. The man who is affected to sing to the Lord is the same man who is affected to give to the Lord. There's no children of the Lord where he calls some to sing and others to give. He calls all of us to be wholehearted in our worship. To refuse to give to the Lord is no different than refusing to sing to him. In the same way that you are fitted and equipped to be able to bring to God a sacrifice of praise, you are also fitted and equipped to give God an offering. So if it's all about God, our aim is to give of our resources so as to physically and actually be a part of seeing an increase in the rule of God in the hearts of man. We're not putting a check in the box. We're not making sure that just a certain account has enough in it. We desire to see the rule of God in the hearts of men increase, and we give to that end. As we give of our resources, there is an increase in the possibility of good deeds that can be done by God's people. And these good deeds that we do are a principal means by which God's glory is put on display. So giving is about God, and how we give is with our eyes on the Lord as an act of worship. There's already some uncomfortable shifting in the seats. Look at verse 2, 2 through 5. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver. You see him listing a number of things here. And he says, moreover, in verse 3, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own. And he shares some details about what, he sh- what he's going to give. See, verses 2 through 5 are what David the one who is leading this thing, he is sharing about what he is going to personally provide in addition to what God has already provided through the kingdom. It's uncomfortable here. I mean, if if anyone up here began to share specific figures about what they're going to give because of all of the different things attached to giving for us, it would just be like, oh, why is he sharing that? I didn't want to know that. That, That's weird. Some of us would be like, I give more than that. That's cool. Some of us would be like, oh, I, I can't give that much. That's uncomfortable. Here, he, he feels led to share some details. David's being a good leader who's wholehearted in his worship. He says, the Lord has provided through my kingdom abundantly for his kingdom. That's what David's view is. Like a lot of us can get wrapped up in our own little kingdoms and how big of a castle can we have and how fancy our chariots can be. And, and David's saying, you know, my kingdom exists for the Lord's kingdom and God has provided abundantly in my kingdom for the glory and, and the purposes of his kingdom. And on a personal note, David says, on a personal note, this is what I'm going to give of my own account. It's appropriate. Think about if David didn't give personally. That would be like our deacons and elders and staff sitting every Sunday and counting the offering, saying, is there enough? Oh, we're good. All right, I'm not going to give this week. How weird would that be, right? You give as an act of worship. You don't sit and wait, is there enough? Is there enough? Okay, then if there's not, okay, how much, are we short? David's just saying, I'm going to give another 75,000 pounds of silver, or seven, it was like 225,000 pounds of gold, 750,000 pounds of silver on top of this big pile of treasure that the Lord had already provided. It'd be odd if he didn't give personally. But I want us to see that here he's giving on top of what the Lord has already provided. Turn to 1 Chronicles 22. Let's take a quick look at what the Lord has already provided. Just look at verse 1. In 1 Chronicles 21, we see that 
there's a purchase that's made that's actually going to be the real estate for the tabernacle. And uh, Ornan, uh, who they purchase this, this piece of real estate from, uh, says, no, 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 just uh, y- y'all can have it. This is important. Y- you don't have to pay me for it. And David makes a point. He says, I'll not offer to God that which cost me nothing. So no, 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 this is important. I will pay the full price. What's the full price? And he does that. And then you go into verse 20, chapter 22 and look at verses one through five. Then David said, here shall be the house of the Lord God and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. David commanded to gather together the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel. And he set stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for building the house of God. David also provided great quantities of iron for nails and for the doors of the gates and clamps, as well as bronze and quantity beyond weighing. Pay attention to the details. They don't want to leave anything out. This is about God, not them. Cedar timbers without number, meaning there's so many, there's not enough time to count them. Let's just put them to use. For the Sidonians and the Tyrians brought great quantities of cedar to David. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all the lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. The kingdom of David was not about David's greatness. It was about God's kingdom being exceedingly magnificent. Exceedingly magnificent. The question that comes up is, this should be on the forefront of our minds as we see this is, Is my giving in step with someone who cares about God being seen as exceedingly magnificent? For a large portion of my life, if my giving represented how I wanted people to see God, it would have been seeing God as an afterthought, seeing God as an inconvenience and a burden. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We're to do all we can to make sure that God is seen as exceedingly magnificent. We're not tricking people. We're trying to pull away all the junk that keeps him from seeing the trueness of God. God is exceedingly magnificent. Look at verses 11 through 13 in that same chapter. Now, my son, the Lord be with you so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God as he has spoken concerning you. Only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. What does he pray for his son? He says, son, here is a lot of riches. We're about to see what the Lord has provided for his house. And he says, son, discretion and understanding do not decrease with wealth. Hear that. Generally, people hope that Year after year, you would have some sort of increase in your income. We've had some hard economic times. But generally, as you get older, you, you, you hope for that stability, that, that, that maybe there'd be increases. And in as your cost of living increases, maybe your income would increase. And what he's saying is, son, discretion and understanding do not decrease with wealth. Rather, they must increase. Son, as you have more abundance before you to do what you're called to do for the Lord, you need more discretion and understanding. I mean, a picture of this would be like, imagine if you had unlimited resources and you went to um, Crossroads Mall. That's what you do when you have unlimited resources. You go to Crossroads Mall. But let's say that you have unlimited resources and you go to the majestic Crossroads Mall and 
you go in and you would, you would probably think, I don't have to show a lot of discretion. I'll just get whatever I want. You know, like if, if I've got more to spend, I, I don't need to show as much discretion. It's not a big deal. I'm not going to run out, am I? I'll get whatever. I don't have to choose between these two shirts. I'll just buy them both. No big deal, right? See, what David is reminding Solomon of is you don't need less discretion and less understanding as your wealth increases. You need more because God's still about what God's about. And as we have more wealth, it's very easy to become about our own kingdoms, the size of our own castles, the fanciness of our own chariots. But here, he says, discretion and understanding must increase with wealth. The large majority of people's spending will just increase with their income. As you make more, you normally, the normal person just spends more. And God's saying, no, 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 you need to have more discretion and understanding so as to be giving to my kingdom and being willing to sacrifice whatever I call you to sacrifice. Look at verses 14 through 16. Here we see the details. With great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord. David's saying, this costs something. This is a sacrifice. This could have gone towards the kingdom, but this is for the Lord. And I'm not going to act like it's not hard to give this much. I'm going to say with great pains I did this, but it's worth it. And he says, with great pains, I've provided for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold. How many pounds is a talent? 75, so that's like seven and a half million pounds of gold. A million Talents of silver, that's 75 million pounds of silver. Are you hearing abundance as I share this? And bronze and iron beyond weighing. Like there's just, we don't have enough time to weigh it all, just use it. For there is so much of it. <laughs> Timber and stone too I have provided. And what does he say? To these you must add. You have an abundance of workmen, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, and all kings of cra- kinds of craftsmen without number. There's so many, just put them to work. Skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work. The Lord be with you. That's seven and a half million pounds of gold, 75 million pounds of silver. You should hear, that's a lot. That's a lot of treasure for the glory of the Lord. And look at the call that he gives to Solomon. Does he say, Solomon, I don't want you to have to worry about the resources. You just do the work. No, he says, to these you must what? Add? Dad, you want me to add to the seven and a half million pounds of gold? Why? To these you must add. It's not a matter of saying, son, I don't want you to have to worry about the resources. Instead, he's saying, son, though it seems like there is an abundance, the kingdom of God is of far greater importance than you can see with your physical eyes. You see a pile of treasure, but the kingdom of God is of far greater importance than that. Arise and work. And not only are you to be about doing the work, son, you must be about continuing to give to the work. To these you must add. Turn back to 1 Chronicles 29. Remember David, he's just shared what he's sharing from his, what he's going to give from his personal account. Why? Because of his devotion to God. Not because he even necessarily first and foremost wanted to set an example for the people. Though he set a good example, the point was devotion to God. His motive for giving what he gave on top of this huge pile of treasure that the Lord has already provided is devotion to God. And yes, it did set a good example. First, it was devotion to God. And what does he say at the end of verse 5? He throws down. 
He says, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? What if I just ended the sermon like that? Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself to the Lord? I sat down. He's throwing down. It wasn't about consecrating themselves to David. It wasn't about consecrating themselves to the temple. It was about being given wholeheartedly to God. A picture of consecration is that um, I, I will fill my hands with the work that God would have me to do. So whatever God would have me to do, I'll I'll let my hands be filled with that and use what he's filled my hands with to do what he wants me to do. It's a matter of being consecrated, linked, given to God and what God would have you do. And so how do they respond? The call is here before you sits resources for the kingdom of God, um, probably greater than anything you've ever laid your eyes on. I mean, think about what the treasures that he has shared. Like, they're not just going to build walls. They're going to cover them in silver. They're not just going to have, like, regular 39-cent door hinges from Home Depot. They're going to pound it out of fine metals. The doors are going to be amazing. The wood's going to be amazing. The stones are going to be amazing. And he says, look at all this that the Lord has provided. This is here. And he says, here before you sits more resources for the kingdom of God than any of you have ever laid your eyes on. So who's on board? At that point, I would think... Shoot, I'm on board. That's a lot of stuff. It looks like all the resources are covered. Sure, I'll, I'll be on board of that. I'll be spent in that direction. Looks like we got enough, right? And how do they respond? Look at verses 6 through 8. He says, who will consecrate himself today to the Lord willingly? Then the leaders of the father's houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Here before you sits more treasure than you've probably ever laid your eyes on. Who's on board? And they respond by giving. Weirdos. What is that? They weren't compelled by a perceived need. They saw the link between their giving and being consecrated to the Lord. They give. First, consider how the heads of the household lead out in this. Also consider, David had previously said, what did David say when he bought the, the, the real estate for the temple? He said, I'll not offer to God that which costs me nothing. See, when you see this abundance of of provision and it's like, who's on board? Sure, I'm on board. But if you're not willing to give towards that, you're offering to God that which cost you nothing. David said, I'll not offer to God that which cost me nothing. And the people seem to be saying the same thing. This crazy group of people seem to be saying the same thing. A bunch of lunatics say, to be a part of this should cost me something. Even though there seems to be an abundance, I'll not offer to God that which costs me nothing. I don't care how big the pile is. I'm not going to offer to God that which doesn't cost me a cent. It should be a reminder for us that giving is not to be done under compulsion or only in the event of a perceived need or when it's more convenient because of a tax break. This is a free will offering. The offering of a people whose wills have been lined up by God to be in accordance with His will. There may be no time in the history of the church where there was less of a perceived need met with more of a corporate response to give abundantly. 
I haven't run into this situation in ministry yet where it's like, hey, we got plenty, but y'all should probably still give. I haven't run into this yet. This hasn't been an issue. There may be no time in the history of the church where there was less of a perceived need where the people gave more abundantly, consecrating themselves to the Lord. The truth is that there will always be a need, always, no matter what, until time melts back in with eternity. God's aim is his rule in the hearts of men, and all of our resources should be used to that end, all of them. Look at verse 9. 9 through 13. Here we see these weirdos get even weirder. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord. And listen to the content of this blessing as he blesses the Lord. Listen to all these people have just given this abundance on top of an abundance. And it'd be easy to say, look how awesome we are. Let's sing our own praises on how awesome we are. Let's go to lunch and pat each other on the back for how much we gave. And here, what they, here, look what they do. David says, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. The focus is on the Lord. It's all about God. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. So from what they gave because of what the Lord had done, what was seen in what they gave because of what the Lord had done is greatness, power, victory, majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is Yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your name. They respond to such overwhelming giving by praising the God of the provision. They gave a lot that day, on top of a lot. That's a lot, a lot. And they responded by praising the God of the provision. In a sense, what they're saying is, this is not our doing, Lord, but yours. Without you, we're still nothing. Look at verse 14. It's interesting. He focuses on the Lord, and in such a time of sweet worship, he focuses back on himself and the people. And he sees clearly who he is and who this people is in light of what God has done in such a sweet time of worship. And look at what he says. But who am I? And what is my people? that we should be able thus to offer willingly. Do you hear the attitude there? I hope this is encouraging to every single person in this room. As I went through the list last night and prayed for all the families, there's families that, um, there's a lot of, an odd number of single dads who are probably trying to figure out how does this work? I got kids and there's no mom here. How's that work? There's a, a number of moms whose husbands aren't believing how does this work out financially? How, how do I do this? There's a number of people who, who own small businesses that in an economy such as ours that they're hurting. There's people who can probably pretty easily give abundantly without thinking too much about it. There's people who have probably given abundantly for the majority of their lives, but because of changing conditions, maybe in the last few years, they haven't been able to like they used to, and there's a lot of guilt associated with that. There's people all over the map when it comes to giving, but here, We know that in this group of people, there were people all over the map. There were some who had more. There were some who had less. They all gave, and they humbly said, who am I? How do we even have a right to give to the Lord in this manner? I just gave, and it was humbling. I didn't give and said, that's right. Times are hard, and I still gave. They said, this is humbling. 
How can we even be able to do this? Why are we not regretting what we just gave? Why are we not running back to the plate and saying, wait, wait, I still got to pay my light bill? They're humbled by what happened here. For we are strangers before you. Oh, wait. For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. We are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O oh Lord our God, all this abundance, these piles that we see that have been added to today, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name, it comes from your hand and it's all yours, your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all things and now I have seen your people who are present here, here offering freely and joyously to you. We see that the reason that God's people gave so abundantly was that there was a clear understanding that all that they had was from the Lord, not just a portion. We don't give a portion to the Lord because we think we only received a portion from him. We give a portion to the Lord as a sign that it's all from him. I've heard it explained that in a, in a more common way, it all belongs to him, so in a special way, I give this. They saw that all that they had was from the Lord. Generally, our culture feels entitled to more than they have. Generally, we live in a culture that feels entitled and wants you to feel entitled that you deserve more than you actually have. I, went, I did a sixth grade camp once. I, I haven't been invited back to do any more sixth grade camps, but I did a sixth grade camp once and uh, and I just wanted to see where the group was because we're talking about how we're so blessed and the Lord has given us things and we don't deserve a whole lot and the Lord's blessed us abundantly. So I got a, an easel with some paper and I said, okay, sixth graders, what do you think y'all deserve? I just wanted to know what the, and I explained, not what you want, but what you feel is owed to you as a sixth grader. What do you feel you deserve in life? Not what you want, but what do you feel like you deserve? I wanted to see where the group was. I started writing. Radio control cars, bunny rabbits, dirt bikes, Nintendos, Sega, whatever. And I'm writing. And I'm like, and I stop. I'm like, no, 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 wait. Not what you want, but what you think you deserve. Okay, you're still going to keep giving answers. Okay. And I keep writing, and I keep writing, and I keep writing. And I run out of room. And I turn the page, and I keep writing. And I'm just blown away. I'm blown away. I had to quiet them. Because they were sixth graders, children, who thought they deserved more. And then I told them that they, in fact, deserve eternal separation from the Lord and a lake of sulfur, <laughs> burning sulfur. And, uh, three of them had nightmares last night, or the, the next night. One of them on the front row, when I said that, looked to her neighbor and said, I'm scared. Um, but really, it was, pretty, it was pretty heartbreaking to think, y'all think you deserve this. We live in a culture that thinks we're entitled to more than what we actually have. Every advertisement wants you to feel like you deserve more. I'm walking with uh, Patrick Fields. We've been walking together for a few years in discipleship. And I said, just start paying attention to every time you hear an advertisement that says you deserve blank. It'll blow your mind how we live in this culture that says, no, 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 that's not good enough. You deserve more. You deserve a cruise. You deserve a nicer car. You deserve this. You deserve that. We feel entitled to having more than we have. And the other side of that is that that which we have is that which we've earned. 
I have what I've earned. So if I have it, I deserve it because I worked hard and I earned it. That's very different from a picture of the Lord has provided everything and it's all his and I will hold nothing back from him. There's a difference between I feel entitled to more and I want more of which that I won't give to the Lord. And in fact, what I do have, I've earned. This is me. I'm the king of this kingdom. That's not how the Lord would have his people function. Contrast that with the people who feel entitled to give. Entitled to give. I don't feel entitled to more. I feel entitled to give. It's my right that I will give to the Lord a free will offering. That's what these people in this weird chapter said. They said, yes, there's an abundance. It is my right to give to the Lord. I am entitled to it as one of his children. You'll not take that from me. That's very different. You know how it is at Christmas time? I mean, here they, he says, uh, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. You know how it is at Christmas time or at your birthday where your children buy you gifts with your money? How they say, hey, Dad, i got to buy you a birthday gift, and they need to borrow money to do that. Or they'll use the credit card that they have that you pay for, and there's maybe a disconnect, but they'll get you a gift. It doesn't cheapen the gift. As a parent, you're thankful for it. But imagine how much sweeter it would be if your child said, Mom, Dad, I'm only giving to you from the abundance that, that you've blessed this family with, and I'm really thankful. And this gift is, I want you to know I love you. And... Uh, and I'll not ever withhold anything from you, but I'm thankful for the provision in our family. That would be sweeter than any gift itself if that was the attitude of the child giving the gift that they bought with their mom and dad's money. This is the aim of our God. He doesn't need our money. He requires our whole hearts. And when we give to him with the acknowledgement that we're only giving what he has provided and that the rest is also sealed for him as well, it reveals a people who see giving as a privilege. A, a, a people who see themselves as privileged to be the Lord's, not to be entitled to other things. It reveals a people uh, who see giving as a privilege, a privilege that we revel in uh, because of the greatness of the Lord, entitled to give. It's my right. I once had someone question me about my right to sing to the Lord. They said, um, who do you think you are singing with your voice and, and, and playing the guitar before the Lord? They had a very different view of worship than I have. And I was hacked. Like, who are you to try to take that right from me? And I gave a very, very sound, solid, and very firm defense of the privilege that God has given us in Christ to come before him with a song. And I was thinking about that, and I wondered if my response would have differed if they questioned my right to give to the Lord. You know? Like, I'll defend that song. I can sing to the Lord. We can come together and worship the Lord in spirit and truth. He's made it so that we can, and he's provided the sacrifice that makes us able to come before him, and, and we have a right to do that. I wonder if they would have said, what about your right to give? And, oh, well, you know, whatever. Would I have been so vehemently defended it? Uh, on a personal note, um, I want to share that early on in our marriage, I did not see this as a Right? I did not see this as a privilege. I did not feel entitled to give. In fact, I very much felt entitled to always having more than what I had presently. Uh, we came to a point uh, early in our marriage where I read stories like this, and I heard testimonies from God's people, and I saw the importance of the kingdom more. And mind you, this is, I'm in ministry at this point, and I'm seeing some huge inconsistencies in my own life about my worship. 
Like, I'm going to be wholehearted in this area, but I'm going to be partially devoted to other things in this area. That's not wholeheartedness in worship. And I began to be convicted about that. And I sat and I said, you know what? We're going to do, this is so ridiculous that I'm inconsistent in this. We're going to do this. And what I realized is I said, all right, just, just write the check. Bam, check's written. All right, now let's look at the funds. Oh, I can't give them that check yet. We're a little overextended. And what I realized is that I was so given to other things because of what I felt entitled to that I had, um, I had such a financial mess that I could not be faithful even though my heart was saying be faithful. And so what happens in that situation is you either just continue to remain unfaithful or you change your situation. Make drastic changes if you have to. I looked at a vehicle that we had that I felt entitled to, and I said, that vehicle payment is 15% of my income. And I'm struggling to start at 10% and move forward from there. Why do I feel so entitled to that vehicle? I should feel more entitled to give to the Lord than I feel entitled to drive that vehicle. And so we sold the vehicle. And, and the situation changed, and we began to learn different things. And there's still challenges. There's challenges today. But the point was that I saw that there was a mess, and if the mess didn't change, I wouldn't be giving. But we are called to give out of our mess, which I'm going to get to in a second. Look at verse 18. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, and our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments. And you see, he blesses the Lord. They offer their other sacrifices, and you see it comes to the end. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day, in verse 22, with gladness. Not with regret, not with frustration, not with anxiety, but with gladness. Here, there's a prayer for us. It's for those who are sitting here right now, there's a prayer. That we who now live in that future generation would be faithful. Maybe the change that the Lord led us to make was because of David's prayer. And the Lord's granting it, saying, I'll continue to direct people's hearts toward me. But we who now live in that future generation, the prayers that we would be faithful. This is another reminder of David's understanding that there's still much work to be done for the glory of God in this fallen earth. David didn't look at all the riches and say, man, look what we did. We got the job done. He said, there's future generations that need to be about the kingdom of the Lord, that need to be about the rule of God in the hearts of men. And Lord, I pray that in those future generations, that those children would have an example set by their parents to be faithful in all things and not partially devoted to other things in some area. And so, Lord, please direct their hearts towards you. That's what I prayed for your children last night, if you remember this body. David has an understanding of the vastness of God's kingdom and praying that our hearts would be directed uh, toward God. David is praying that we would never feel compelled to withhold anything that the Lord would have us give, that we would never be compelled to offer God that which costs us, us nothing. See, redemption, God's kingdom is all about redemption. The only reason that time still exists is that there are more that he will redeem. He didn't create time because he needed some way for his glory to be seen. God's glory is infinite. You cannot contain it. And so time still exists because there are some who he will redeem, and redemption is a process that will last as long as time. And when time is melted back into eternity, we will worship God as perfectly redeemed people. Until then, we are to spend and be spent in that direction gladly. And after they gave, they feasted and they celebrated with gladness. Last week in our member meeting, or two weeks ago, or however long ago that was, I don't know, uh, Steve Roberts, an elder here at Crosspoint, said, give out of your mess. Give out of your mess. And why wouldn't we? 
We worship out of our mess, don't we? Does anyone ever come here with their hearts perfectly aligned and focused on the Lord? They have had no problems with their family on a Sunday morning. They got there on time. Everyone's dressed and ready to go, and they're totally focused. No, we worship out of our mess to the degree that we know that worship and song by the work of the Spirit can prepare us to engage the preached Word. We serve out of our mess in the children's ministry. People who lead worship here lead and serve and out of their mess, and you are likewise called to give out of your mess. There's never been a single child of God. There has never been a single child of God who ever cleaned up their own mess and then came before the Lord as pleasing. The Lord will only accept what he perfects. You can't start the process by yourself and then get it to where you don't feel so guilty and then go to the Lord. The Lord will only accept what he perfects. Do you only offer God a sacrifice of praise when you're perfectly ready? No. When we sing, the Spirit moves and directs our hearts to God producing in us the fruit that he desires. We are readied and changed in the process. It's the same with giving. Your finances may be a wreck, but giving is not a spiritless activity. Your finances may be just fine. Giving is not a spiritless activity. As you give, you are affected by the Spirit, and the Spirit produces faithfulness. You don't muster faithfulness. The Spirit produces faithfulness. God has equipped every single one of his children to give. That's what Scripture shows us. He doesn't exempt anyone. There may be seasons where you need more than someone else, and the church is there to provide for you, but he's equipped every one of his children to give. Consider the order here in 1 Chronicles 29. They gave abundantly, and then they worshiped greatly. Did you see the order? They gave abundantly, and then they worshiped greatly. Sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking we got to be able to worship greatly, worship greatly, be, be Johnny on the spot, and then we'll give abundantly. They gave abundantly, and then they worshiped greatly, and they weren't worshiping themselves. That means that as they gave, they were quickened to God, by God, to worship Him. In the process of giving out of their mess, their souls were affected, and their hearts were filled with gladness toward God. So how do we give? Part three of our worship series, we give willingly, not under compulsion, as an act of worship. And we give out of the abundance that the Lord has provided for his people to accomplish his purposes. And without God, we cannot give. But because of God, we are entitled to give. Let's pray. Lord, 2 Timothy 2.21 says that, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what, is un- from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Lord, we're a part of your house, your kingdom, and we desire to be used by you as you see fit for your purposes to your end, no matter what. God, it is much easier to pray those words audibly than to live that out actually. Lord, I want to be a people who are like the people we see here, your people, eager to be a part of what you're doing no matter what resources are already there or not there, just consistently not offering to you that which costs us us nothing. God, because of Christ, we are entitled to give. It is our right. I have seasons in my life where I do not see it as a right, but as a burden, as a frustration, as a means of, of feeling guilty and dirty. And Lord, that is not the way that you would have it. I pray that you would find a people this morning willing to either continue to give faithfully or to repent and to begin to give faithfully, completely dependent upon you. 
Lord, I pray that also if people are in a situation where they just need help saying, how do I get this stuff in order? How do I do this? I pray that we would see that this body is full of resources. We're available for each other. We're members of one another. It's not an inconvenience to sit down with someone and say, let's look at how how your spending is. I pray that we would be faithful in all things and that it would never be about a man or a program or a tax break or a a convenience or just a perceived need, that we would never give just out of compulsion, but that we would be a people who see it as an act of worship and that we would desire in that to be pleasing and glorifying and honoring to you. Lord, if we can do this, if we can be this people ever, it's because of you. I pray that we would have that attitude that we heard from David, that who are we that we can thus offer willingly? Lord, all that we have is yours. And because of you, uh, we are very blessed people. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. They didn't give because there was a need. They gave because there was opportunity. That's a man, that's a different paradigm. That's just, I wonder how many needs there really would be if the people of God were thinking like that. They're thinking what's driving them is that God's name is exceedingly magnificent. There is the potential for us to live in this place to say, hey man, how's the church? We're making our bills. We're paying our staff. Are we getting by? (coughs) That thought should never even enter our head when it's dealing with God or his people. That just is foreign. It should be foreign the way we think about the church because the fact that we bear his name is that giving in our situation should be exceedingly magnificent because he's exceedingly magnificent. That's just a different direction on the whole thing. I made a little to-do list that may hit some of you. It may, it hits us as a family, some things for us to consider. I'll tell you right now, there's not a family in this church that has this down. There's no such thing this side of glory as us having this down. That's why we need to be stirred up by way of reminder about what this looks like. I, whenever Christy and I came to Greenville six and a half years ago, my burden at that time was I didn't want to ever pastor a church that was unfaithful in giving in whatever. I didn't want to ever be that person either. I didn't want to ever be that father or that husband who was unfaithful in giving. And um, so we've had to-do lists over the years. We've had things that we've done over the course of the time we've been here. I've watched people move over the course of the time we've been here through things that are responses to messages just like this. I don't know if you saw for a few years we had a little red scooter parked out in front of Cross Point. That's because that joker that just preached was riding a little red scooter and went 35 miles an hour up and down Jack Finney. So he could be obedient with his tithes and offerings. He wouldn't have shared that with you, but I'll share it with you. Scooters are cheap. And some of us could do with a scooter for a while. He's not on it now. Maybe there's a season where you're neck deep in a mess. And like Steve said a few weeks ago, give out of your mess or get comfortable with your mess. And if you have no mess, then make a mess. I don't mean be crazy with your money. I mean give dangerously. If you think, man... (laughs) I'm faithful. It's all good. Give dangerously and watch him provide even more. Man, it's about his exceedingly magnificent name. Man, that's just a different perspective. To-do list. First of all, sit down with your family and talk about this. How dare our kids not know about this? 
Why wouldn't our children know where we are as a family and what we're doing as a family? I was convicted about that as we're sitting on the front row. Christy and I talk about things. In reality, I write the checks. I write our tithe and offering. And Christy and I seldom talk about it unless there's some sort of need that we're dealing with. And I'm keeping them in the dark. (laughs) I'm worshiping for us silently. We need to sit with our families and say, hey, kids, here's what we're doing. And here's the mess that we're in. And here's what we're going to do anyway because God owns math. And we're going to trust him. And watch the faith of your children get big as they see their mommy and daddy stepping out into a scary place. Man, that's first on the to-do list. Just share with your family this week where you are. Share with your family if you've been unfaithful with this. Or share with your family if you think you've been faithful but you see opportunity to be more faithful. Give out of your mess, man. That's just, that's a strong encouragement. Give sacrificially. Maybe do with one car for a while. Scooters are cheap. Eat out less. I mean, do we really have to eat out four or five times a week? I mean, we're talking about real practical things. Opportunities to worship with a bag lunch. <laughs> for real. That's, that, that can be worship. I'm going to eat this as an act of worship so I can give more. And so I can somehow climb out of this mess. Maybe invest less. Yes. How about that? Because we're investing in an eternal kingdom. You say, oh, no, we can't touch that. Or I'll be in poverty when we retire. Who says you need to retire? Where's that? I'd love to find it. <laughs> Man, it's just a paradigm shift. Man, this shift. Invest less, recreate less. I've heard the American problem is not accumulation, it's acquisition. It, it, we have a problem with accumulation. That's why we need two-car, three-car garages and can't park our cars in the garage. <laughs> Accumula- accumulation is a problem, but maybe the worst problem is acquisition. We're hunter-killers, man. Let's go find it. Let's go find that one pair of shoes. I got to get it. And once I get it, I'll be happy for about an hour. Man, that's our problem. Maybe acquire less and realize that in Christ, we've already got everything. Uh, I had a devotional for our Lord's Supper this morning, but the devotional was right there in front of us. Scott just shared the two steps of the order of worship in First Chronicles 29. The first one was that they gave abundantly. The second one was that they worshiped greatly. But look at the third one. Verse 22, and they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. That's what we're going to do in the supper right now. We're going to eat together and drink together before the Lord with great gladness.